Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The memories. This is the Heroes of the 500 on 93 WIBC. Here he goes, the final lap. Three wide. Who will make the pass? Miss. Off the fourth turn. Mears is right behind him. Allinger Jr. has the lead. One more turn to go. Checkered flag is out. AJ Point at Indianapolis. He's one of the most popular and beloved winners in Indianapolis 500 history. And here's the checkered flag for Johnny Rutherford, winner of the 1974 Indianapolis 500-mile race. But the road to victory at the Brickyard was not always a smooth one for Johnny Rutherford. When Eddie hit those two cars burning gasoline, it was like jerking the door open on a blast furnace. It was hot. Join us for the next two hours as we honor one of the greatest champions in open wheel racing. This is Heroes of the 500, Lone Star JR. I'm John Herrick. Johnny Rutherford is a proud Texan. After all, his helmet features the flag of his adopted home state. But you may not know that his story started in Kansas, where he was born in the city of Coffeyville in March of 1938. My dad was in the, in the Army Air Corps or the Air Force. And we moved around a lot to different different bases and stuff. I went to thirteen different schools during my during my uh, uh, schooling career, and uh, it was uh, you know we lived in Kansas. Uh, oh gosh, I don't know till I was probably six or seven years old, and then we started moving around. After living briefly in the Sunflower State, the Rutherfords moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was there that young Johnny Rutherford found his passion for racing. Oh, the first time I saw those midget race cars going around that quarter-mile dirt track, uh, the hook set, and I wanted, I wanted to be a race car driver. Every driver had a favorite growing up, and the future Indianapolis 500 winner was no exception. My favorite was, was Bud Camden from Wichita, Kansas and Bud was so smooth and he won all of the big races because he he just knew how to do it and he had a a uh, uh, metallic blue number nine race car and uh, that was you know that was my favorite but I now have a car that I watched race when I was a kid and I have restored it uh, it's a 1946 Curtis Craft midget with an Eddie Meyer uh, V860 flathead Ford engine in it. Rutherford was in the right place at the right time when it was time to get behind the wheel himself. And I actually started racing in 1959 at the old Devil's Bowl Speedway in Dallas, Texas. I was in a hot rod club uh, here in River Oaks, my hometown. 
in Texas. And uh, one night at the meeting, <clears throat> one of the guys said, I'm going to have to leave a little early. I'm going to help my brother put the engine in his dirt track car. Well, that set me straight up in my chair. And I said, dirt track car? He says, yes. They race every Friday night over in Dallas, Texas at the Devil's Bowl Speedway. Well, I went out the next day with when his uh, uh, with it, he and his brother, and they had the car, and they were running it, test, you know, just making sure the engine was working and everything. And when I think back about it now, I probably should have had a tetanus shot before I before they let me drive that thing. It was it was pretty ragged rusty and everything else like many drivers he started running the local tracks before getting an opportunity to run on the prestigious imca circuit it was uh, you know just another step in my education and racing and i got a ride and at uh, lacrosse wisconsin raced in an afternoon and an evening race and i when i started i had just enough money to buy a bus ticket back to texas from Indianapolis and uh, uh, would have had to, you know, started over doing something else. But anyway, in 1960, that two day, two races at lacrosse, I made 40% of the prize money, which was $180. And in 1960, $180 for a weekend's work uh, wasn't too bad. And uh, that got me the ride. I drove it till the next season and Diz Wilson, a uh, famous IMCA car owner, had a third car that he'd bought and it was interesting in that it had once been the Pat Clancy six wheeler. And uh, they cut it all cut it down and made a sprint car out of it. And I got to drive the old Pat Clancy six wheeler as a sprint car. Uh, for a season with Diz Wilson with an Offenhauser in it. After making a name for himself in IMCA and nearly winning the championship, it was time for Johnny Rutherford to take his talents to USAC, first in sprint cars, then in his championship racing debut in the 1962 Hoosier 100. That's when McElreath called me uh, after the third year in IMCA and said, hey, there's a good dirt car at the Hoosier 100 uh, if you'd like to try to run it well that I decided I was leading the points and only had five races left in IMCA and could have won the championship and I look back now and regret that I didn't go ahead and stay there and add that to my list but uh, anyway it was uh, just one step at a time and I I was able to uh, get the experience and the timing and everything and uh, uh, did really well in IMCA and, and then switched to, uh, to USAC. And when you joined USAC, uh, you couldn't go run outlaw anywhere. Uh, they protected the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that way. Rutherford was now racing on the USAC championship trail, but he hadn't raced in the big one yet, the Indianapolis 500. You might win a few bets with the knowledge that Lone Star JR actually drove in the Daytona 500 before his first race at the Brickyard. Here's how the deal with the legendary Smoky Eunuch came together. I had a Pontiac dealer in Dallas with a friend, and he called me up during the off season and said, uh, in fact, it was just before uh, the Daytona race. He 
called me and said, uh, do you think you'd ever like to run stock car at the Daytona 500? And I'm going to say no. Uh, I said, yeah, sure. He said, come on over here and I'll call the guy. He's building a uh, new Chevrolet and he, and he's looking uh, for a driver. So anyway, I uh, called, I, I rather he called and, and uh, I didn't still didn't know who it was that, that he called. And uh, he said, yeah, he's right here. I'll put him on the phone. And he handed me the phone, and he said, here, talk to Smokey Eunuch. And I nearly dropped the phone. And and uh, talked to Smokey, and he said, uh, uh, yeah, we're building this car, and uh, uh, I want to hire you to drive it. And uh, that was a puzzler, because why would he want a sprint car driver uh, off of IMCA? Uh to drive his stock car. Well, anyway, he said, when can you be here? And I said, I'll be there tomorrow. The car was fast, and before the main event, Rutherford grabbed a major victory, taking a qualifying race win. In those days, winning a Daytona 500 qualifying race meant you went into the record books as a NASCAR race winner. So you'll find Johnny Rutherford's name on the same list as Richard Petty, A.J. Foyt, and Mario Andretti. And the car was so good that, uh, you know, I had... Uh, I just ran the race and didn't have to really battle anybody for the lead and and uh, uh, won the thing and uh, that started me in that second row at uh, at in the 500. Rutherford finished ninth in his first Daytona 500 and Smokey Eunuch was impressed enough to make an offer. It was an experience and great experience and of course boosted my stock and I. I had a call later. In fact, uh, Smokey asked me, he says, you want to stay down here and run run with me? And I said, Smokey, uh, I really want to go to Indianapolis. Johnny Rutherford had his sights set on the brickyard, but sadly, it would be a trial by fire early on. Uh, threw my head forward on the impact, and uh, I got second-degree burns on the back of my neck from raining gasoline. And when I came out on the other side, my car was, was burning with gasoline all over. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500. Lone Star JR, I'm Chon Herrick. Johnny Rutherford already had a NASCAR win under his belt when the month of May opened in 1963, but he was still looking to make his first Indianapolis 500-mile race. Rutherford took his rookie test in George Walther's Dayton Steel Wheel Special, but while the young driver was capable, the car just wasn't ready to make the big show. They had a Watson Roadster, which was nice car, but it had been, I found out later that it had been crashed at uh, uh, Milwaukee the year before, and they, they uh, Buster Warkey put it back together and was the my crew chief we i ran the thing a lot and it just couldn't quite get there so with time running out to qualify for the race rutherford took some advice that changed his luck immediately buster told me he says go walk down the line see if you can find something else to take a ride in and get a comparison so i walked down the line and eddie kostanek had uh one of leader cards roadsters he had bought and uh, 
I got in that thing, and, and uh, Lloyd Ruby had, had driven it the day before, and he came back. He says, this this is a good car. He said, when you feel it bump the curb or bump the cushion down in the first turn or in the turns, it get after it. He said, it'll take it. And so I went out and ran six laps and came back in and, and pulled in the pits and, and uh, got out of the car. And the guys took the car and started pushing it away. I thought, well, we must not have done very, very good. I said, Eddie, where are they going? He said, we're going to get fuel. You're going to qualify that thing. Johnny Rutherford qualified 26th for his first Indianapolis 500. Unfortunately, it was a short day for the future champion. And I went across the short chute and through turn two and started down the back stretch. And Roger Ward went by me like I was painted on the fence. And I thought, what in the hell am I doing here? But it was uh, my first Indy 500. We started the race, and I think I ran 40-some laps, and an oil plug in the back of the block had uh, not been tightened and, or something. Anyway, it started squirting oil into the clutch, started slipping the clutch and put us out of the race. But uh, that was my first Indianapolis 500. Johnny Rutherford may not have won the 1963 Indianapolis 500, but he still came away from the month of May a big winner because he met the love of his life at the track that month. And there was this pretty little blonde standing there at the fence uh, watching me or watching what we were doing. And uh, our stories vary here. <laughs> I, I winked at her and I said she winked back. I, I told people she winked back. She said, no, she waved back. And so that's the way it was. And so we went back, and I went out to do my test and uh, had a problem with the car. And uh, the chief steward told me that uh, I could continue and, and finish my test in the morning. And so I'm walking back to the garage area through the old uh, tower terrace there and into gasoline alley and on the left side of it was the first aid station the other side was firestone for testing you know air testing and air, you know testing the pressure life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. In the tires, and uh, she was standing at the door talking to friends. I didn't know she was a registered nurse and had been working there at the speedway on her days off and and uh, whenever. And so I saw her again, and I, I walked up to her, and I first words I ever said to Betty in my life were, "Haven't I seen you someplace before?" And she kind of chuckled and and said yes. And I said, uh, "Could I take you to dinner tonight?" 
and she said, no, I've, I've had plans. She gave me her phone number, and uh, I went back into the garage, and, and uh, anyway, the next day I gave her a call, and I said, uh, can I take you to dinner? And she said, sure, and I found out later that the only reason she didn't go to dinner that first night but she wanted to find out if I was married or not. While Betty and Johnny were quickly becoming an item, Betty's father needed some convincing. I met them, and her dad still wasn't sure that I wasn't married. You know, he just <laughs> knew how, you know, the drivers, what they did. And so we're standing up there talking, and all of a sudden, over the garage area PA system, you could hear it up there, was Johnny Rutherford, meet your wife and children at the garage area back gate. And I would give anything to have a picture that of her dad's face when that announcement came out. <laughs> I would have loved that. And wait, Betty and I laughed, and and he didn't he didn't laugh, but we stepped up to the top and looked over the back, and Bobby Marshman and Chuck Hulse were nearly rolling on the ground, laughing, pointing up at us. <laughs> so that was that was a the funny part of me beating her family. The pair became one of the most well-known couples in motorsports history, and it all started on that May day in 1963. It was uh, incredible. We were we met the 1st of May. We were engaged the 1st of June and got married on July the 7th, 1963. We were married 55 years. While Rutherford had made the race in the U.S. Equipment Special, that partnership was short-lived, and by later that summer, the emerging star had switched teams again, landing a ride with Racing Associates. The partnership started paying dividends immediately with a fourth-place finish at the Hoosier 100 and a pole position for the season-ending race at Phoenix. For 1964, the team was still together, and Rutherford qualified a solid 15th for the greatest spectacle in racing. But Johnny Rutherford and six other drivers never really had the chance to race on May 30th, 1964. The yellow caution flag is being waved. The yellow light is on. There's an accident on the main stretch up in front of us. Jim Shelton, can you see it out of the fourth turn? There's a car burning. Jim, come in. Smith, there has been a spectacular crash almost at the head of the main stretch. There's so much fire and so much smoke, it's un I am unable to see any car at all. Eddie had a, a red a fluorescent, it's when that new fluorescent red paint came out, and he had a, a, a ball on the top of his helmet painted red, and I could see that. I, I still can see this accident just like it happened. And... Uh, I could see that on either side of the roll bar, like he was looking for a way to go. And I was right on his bumper, and uh, he just veered left just very slightly just before he impacted uh, Davey. And both of those cars were the only two in the, in the race with gasoline. When he impacted, the rear of his car reared up in the air, and he put a tire, right rear tire, Kid mark up the nose of my Watson about three feet long. And I I saw a gap between Davy's car, tailpipes and everything. And Eddie must have moved him because I, I had a shot to it went went I think over there just 
slightly over the back of, of Davy's car uh, and just scuffed the wall and broke out. But when I, when Eddie hit those two cars burning gasoline, it was like jerking the door open on a blast furnace. It was hot. And, of course, raining gasoline uh, everywhere and, and uh, uh, threw my head forward on the impact. And uh, I got second-degree burns on the back of my neck from raining gasoline. And when I came out on the other side, my car was, was burning with gasoline all over it. I got out and clear on the on the other side, and uh, the car was slowed down and starting to buck. So I reached down and unlocked the transmission, shifted it back to low gear, and and tried to get going. And I heard a I heard an, a, an engine screaming. And uh, just as I glanced left, Bobby Unser had hit the other car in our line, knocked the steering out on the Novi he was driving, and here he came across the track and he hit me in the left rear and slammed me into the wall, and that fractured my fuel tank. I didn't know that at the time. <clears throat> and as I pulled into three, I just drove to the grass, and there was a guy there with a fire extinguisher, and I put it in neutral and stopped and kept the engine running and uh, drove on across the short chute and pulled around to where the thing had happened and pulled up there, and, and Don Branson was, was standing there, and he's, he uh, motioned me to stop. And I stopped, got everything down, unhooked seat belts, got out and stepped over, and then I could see the fuel, uh, methanol running around the car, and two guys with fire extinguishers came over and stood by. And I started walking up toward uh, the accident scene, and uh, Don grabbed me by the arm. He says, you don't want to go up there. And I said, okay. I said, am I, my neck feels like it, it's burning. And he looked. He said, yeah, you got some some uh, second-degree blisters on the back of your neck. So he put me in an ambulance, and I went to the hospital. In one of the worst crashes in the history of the Speedway, Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald were fatally injured. After the crash, Rutherford and his crew made a grim and tragic discovery. And Herb Porter, my crew chief, went over and unhooked the left left side of my or right side of my car hood and raised it up and we both standing there looked in and there was looked like sand and and some gravel and a piece of windshield material uh triangular shape little piece and there was a lump covered up with sand and everything and herb reached in and picked it up and brushed it off and it had a shoestring run through it and around and the, and the end of it it was a lemon and it had had the end cut off and the herb says where in the world do you reckon that came from and somebody at the door said oh my god herb said what today they had that around his neck and uh, he used it to suck on during the cautions or during the race you know and uh, anyway that's how close it was uh but it was you know, I just, uh, we hated to lose two drivers. The 1964 season ended without much success for the young driver, but both big-time success and hardship were on the way very soon. The elbow was uh, was injured and the, and the arm and everything, and uh, I was in and out of the hospital 
most of the season. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500. Lone Star JR, I'm John Herrick. Johnny Rutherford stayed with Racing Associates for the 1965 Indianapolis 500, but they didn't have any success. Although they qualified 11th for the race, the car lasted just 15 laps before dropping out with transmission failure. Rutherford's career in championship cars was at a bit of a crossroads. He had shown plenty of speed but hadn't broken through for a victory yet. But that all changed on an August day at Atlanta in 1965. I was in that pointy-nose car that uh, Watson had built for Ward to run at the Speedway, went out to practice with the car in Atlanta, and uh, rear-engine cars were, were something new. And uh, there were things about setting them up that uh, some of the owners, even Watson, uh, didn't know. And I can remember the sun shining from the backside of me going through turn two, and there were some bumps over there. And the Firestone tires had red stripes around the the sidewall, little a little red stripe. And uh, I can remember seeing those red stripes appear and disappear as the front end of the car went up and down. You know, I had I didn't know at the time with rear engine cars what it was, <clears throat> but it had a lot of toast there in the front end. Well, being an old sprint car driver, uh, you knew how to wrestle problems, and I, I did. And uh, we uh, ran the race, and, and uh, Foyt was obviously running good there, but he had problems and dropped out. And uh, uh, I was leading the race at the end and won, and uh, that was my first uh, championship car win. Uh, and that was uh, that that helped a lot and, and got me hired uh, by Watson and Bob Wilkie uh, at leader card. In addition to grabbing his first win in championship cars, 1965 was a title winning season for Johnny Rutherford. He won the USAC Sprint Car Championship driving for Wally Muskowski. Rutherford was establishing himself as one of the top drivers in USAC, but it all unraveled for him early in the 1966 season when he was seriously injured in a sprint car crash at Eldora Speedway in Rossburg, Ohio. I was ready to start uh, the next season, and I we went to Eldora, and I had my incident where I flipped out of the racetrack and broke both arms, and that ended my season in '66. Uh, I had some serious problems with my right arm uh, all year. They got staph infection in it and had problems. And uh, the elbow was uh, was injured and the, and the arm and everything. And uh, I in and out of the hospital uh, most of the season the next year. Rutherford would miss the rest of the 1966 season, and he had difficulty getting back to his previous level of performance. Struggled and, and got the thing back, you know, working and everything, and uh, started uh, the next year with in sprint cars and and uh, had, an, had a ride at the Speedway. And then anyway, just struggling to recover from that accident you just don't realize how 
uh, your physical being uh, deteriorates when you're not doing driving race cars. And uh, anyway, I, I kept working at it and working at it. While he started on the front row for Pat Patrick in 1970, Johnny Rutherford was still looking for his first top 10 finish when he came to the Speedway with his new team, the powerful McLaren in 1973. Right away, Rutherford knew McLaren's M16, which had won the race the previous year with Mark Donahue driving, was something special. Uh, the car felt so good uh, that I was able to run it hard through the corners. And I ran the first lap and shaking it down, getting the feel of it. And I, I then just stood on it. It's the first time I'd ever been able to drive around the speedway uh, flat-footed, never lift. And we ran. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. I think either three or five laps, they brought me in, and we had gone 200 miles an hour. And, and wow, boy, that got everybody's attention. And uh, the car was, was that good, you know. And it's a, it, this, the uh, M16 was probably the best flat-bottom car to ever run at the Speedway. It was, it was good. And I was the driver. And I, you know, that boosted my stock a great deal. Rutherford won the pole for the 1973 500, but problems developed on the papaya orange machine. Set on the pole for the 73 race and uh, running up front really well and uh, cracked an exhaust header. Well, that for a turbocharged engine, that's, that's just, you know, it, it doesn't have any more power. So I came in, they changed the header, and went back out, and we still finished ninth, I think, that year. Rutherford took the red and checkered flags that ended the disastrous 1973 race in ninth place, nine laps down to the winner, Gordon Johncock. But big things were on the horizon for a driver who had waited a long time for a major win. And here's the checkered flag for Johnny Rutherford, winner of the 1974 Indianapolis 500-mile race. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500. Lone Star JR, I'm John Herrick. In 1973, Johnny Rutherford finally showed that he was all the way back from his devastating crash at Eldora in 1966. He won two races, his first multi-win season in championship racing, and finished third in the USAC championship standings. 
1974 was shaping up to be an even better year for Rutherford after he started on the front row for the first three races of the USAC championship season. Rutherford and McLaren felt they had an outstanding chance for a second straight pole, but they ran into problems on pole day. We we scuffed a piston during practice on Saturday on pole day. The guys hustled the car back to the garage, uh, changed the engine, uh, everything involved, all the filters and stuff, came back out and we, we got in line and the the official said, no, you're going to have to go to the end of the line. Well, why? Because you weren't here when, when everything started. And so you have to, you have to go back. Well, we had a, had a fast car. While Rutherford qualified a disappointing 25th because of the chief steward's ruling, his speed was actually the second fastest on the grid behind the pole winner, A.J. Foyt. So Lone Star JR and the team knew they had a car that could win. 33 powerful racing machines straining to be let go as they leave turn four and head down the main stretch. The pace car moves into the pit area and the power of 25,000 horses heading our way. We're watching Pat Vidan across the way. Down the main straight away they come for the world's fastest flying start. The green flag is waved and the 1974 Indianapolis 500 mile race is on. Right all right, said I have the minutes. Wally Dollar back taking the lead. A.J. Boyd, Gordon, Sean Cock, and there's Mario Andretti in the turn two. Come in, howdy, bow. And we see them approaching us right now. And yes, you are correct. It is Wally Dollar back. A.J. Boyd, Gordon, Sean Cock, Mario Andretti, Mike Hiss, Mike Mosley, and Bobby Gunter to the back stretch. And Wally Dollar back continues to add to that lead. He's still got people running his tails. They go into number three and Doug's sake. And they begin to string out here in turn number three. It's Wally Dollenbach with about a 100-yard lead over A.J. Boyd. Then car number 20, Gordon Johncock. They're over to turn number four. Here's Jim Shelton. All right, uh, here we go, Doug. It's still that uh, bright red one in the lead with A.J. Foyt in second place. The car was good. Foyt was on the pole, but I uh, started the 25th, but it had a uh, nearly exact time as Foyt. Anyway, they dropped the green flag, and I just passed them as I came to them. And in 12 laps, I was running third. car was that good. And we also observed what Howdy did. Johnny Rutherford unofficially a few minutes ago looked to me like he was running clear up in fifth after starting clear back in 25th spot. Sid? Foyt and Rutherford were the class of the field, and they began putting on a show in the first half of the race. Back in the master control tower once again on lap number 85. There are 200 laps scheduled for this 500-mile race on a two-and-a-half-mile oval course. Number three, Johnny Rutherford driving the McLaren Special, McLaren Limited, Cars Limited, is leading. Number three, Johnny Rutherford from Fort Worth, Texas. Number 14, A.J. Foyt in the Gilmore Special is second. Number 15, Al Unser in the Viceroy Special is third. Number 48, Bobby Unser in the Old Night Eagles running fourth. And car number four, Bill Vukovic in the Sugar Ripe Prune Special is running fifth. Foyt and I staged the battle uh, that, you know, I'm sure the fans love because I tried to go by him, and I, I he had the... the uh, overhead cam V8 Ford engine in his in his car and it had just enough grunt that if I timed it right I could get beside him but then I wouldn't I wouldn't hold him there and he he'd edge a little bit 
Rutherford and Foyt combined to lead 192 of the 200 laps in the 1974 Indianapolis 500. But when Foyt dropped out after 142 laps because of an oil leak, Rutherford's strongest challenger was sidelined. Three of them going together in that turn. Wow, get this crowd standing. Pick him up, Ron. What do you see down there? All right, Sid. Well, it's fantastic. And there's, well, Foyt is still in the lead. Rutherford is just behind him as we go into turn two. Sid? Let's follow that group around. Past you, Howdy? Just by us at this moment. About three car lengths between Foyt and Rutherford to Jerry Baker. No change. He moved up, but he lost just a little bit of ground right in front of us here. They go into turn number three, and Doug Zink can see him right here. Thank you, Jerry. But last time around, it was the other way around. Rutherford was leading A.J. by a good 100 or 150 feet. A.J. with the lead now. Rutherford pulling up alongside the short straightaway. Can't get him. They're over in turn number four. Here's Jim Shelton. All right, Doug. They're just uh, tail to nose pipe, or either way you want to go. Or they're uh, neck and neck, and here is it. And it's A.J. Foyt followed by Johnny Rutherford into turn number one. So, North Pitt. Foyt's car small. Can he get him? One. Pick I think Foyt's No, it's still Foyt and then Rutherford. But wait a minute, Sid. It looks like there is a little bit of smoke coming out of the back yep. end of A.J. Foyt's car. He's over in two. Past you, Howdy? Yes, past me, and it is smoking more profusely, although not a great deal, but more than before. Jerry, can you see him? Yeah, he's got it coming out like gangbusters right now, going into number three, and Johnny Rutherford right behind him, and Doug, can you see him up there? There it goes right there. And he smoked real badly as he let off the accelerator going into three. It's let up now. He's over in the short shoot. Here's Jim Shelton. At the moment, there is uh, no smoke coming out of there, and he's lengthened the lead on Johnny Rutherford. So uh, perhaps he has cleared up that engine. Now down to you, Sid. We'll get them as they go by in front of us, and here comes A.J. Foyt, and there is no smoke showing whatsoever. Now there is again. Now there is That's again as he passes. It's intermittent. Freddie's our expert on engines and color of smoke, as a matter of fact. I'm afraid uh, Foyt's going to be done very shortly. An oil line came loose on his car and literally covered me up with oil, so I had to back off of him. Hold everything. Here's Rutherford. Pick it up, Lou. Well, it's actually, it's Foyt, and he's making oh, a very Marcy. sharp turn back into the gasoline alley area. He wants no further part of the race. We had the first hint of it. Foyt came in. They looked at the car, said it was clean enough. Foyt knows the way it is. Out on the grassy area, right against the racetrack, behind the outer pit wall, we had the indication it was coming as Foyt's pit board man began packing up, even as Foyt was just going into the number one turn after that last mandatory pit stop under the black flag. So Foyt has wheeled it into the pit, made a sharp turn, and is already back in the garage area. So it's Johnny Rutherford in front by a distance, and back to you in the tower, Sid. Thank you, Lou, very, very much. We had some oil on the front of Rutherford's car, probably from Foyt's car. It's sprayed it back there. I would suggest that's where it came from. And they black flagged him, and he came in, and I took the lead and uh, went on to win the race. And there is the white flag for number three, John Rutherford. Pick it up, Ron Carroll. Okay, Sid, and here he comes right now from that number 25th position in the starting field. Johnny Rutherford wins or is about to win his first 500 over to Howdy Bell in turn two. I'm really happy for Johnny and Betty because they're great people, and he likes homemade strawberry ice cream, incidentally, as he heads up the back stretch to Jerry Baker. He just now goes past us, Howdy, heading in toward number three, and as you say, one super guy apparently off to the best win of his career. Doug? The crowd on its feet waving their hats, waving their arms as the red, white, and blue helmet of Johnny Rutherford in the bright orange car goes streaking by over into turn number four. Here's Jim Shelton. Uh, handsome driver, uh, winning smile, and Johnny Rutherford. And here to call the winner is the voice of the 500 St. Collins. And here's the checkered flag for Johnny Rutherford. 
winner of the 1974 Indianapolis 500-mile race. And when we when we pulled the car up on the, the little victory lane they had then, uh, they had the black and white checkered carpet, you know, up in the victory lane. And pulled the car up there and, and stopped and and did all they did do in victory lane. And when they backed the car off of that, the oil that had been deposited on my car by Foyt left a perfect outline of the nose of the car and the front wings and everything right there on the carpet. Uh, that was my first victory at Indy. And it was uh, it was a thrill, obviously. But uh, I, I think I was so much faster than Foyt through the corners that I knew that I could just, you know, if he hadn't had the oil leak, I could have passed him. And if I ever got ahead, I'd just, you know, drive away. So anyway, that was my first victory at Indy. The first time Johnny Rutherford went the full 500 miles in the Indianapolis 500, he won the race. But there were plenty more big victories to come. Number four, the Pennzoil Chaparral, his hand in the air. Johnny Rutherford wins the 1980 Indianapolis 500-mile race. Wayne Sweeney has two checkered flags in his hand as he signals the end of the race for Johnny Rutherford. This is Heroes of the 500. This is the friendly voice of Indiana, WYBC Indianapolis. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Heroes of the 500. Lone Star JR, I'm John Herrick. As we mentioned in the last segment, the first time Johnny Rutherford ever went the full 500 miles at 16th and Georgetown, he won the 1974 Indianapolis 500, something the legendary Lou Palmer was quick with a quip about in Victory Lane. John, for a guy who's never led a lap here, you did pretty good today. Well, thank you. Uh, Lou, by golly, it's the, that one lap was the only one I wanted to lead, the last one. And I can't say enough for this McLaren crew. They've, they work very hard. We've had some setbacks. We've lost two or three engines, and, and we've just had all kinds of trouble. And uh, by golly, it paid off today. I, I had my doubts when we started so far back, but uh, yeah, the way everything worked out is great. I'd, Rutherford was a popular winner in 1974, and Speedway historian emeritus Donald Davidson says he was the right winner at the right time. And at that time, I mean, that was... And, you know, and I, I say this with all due respect, it was a godsend. It was a savior for the race because uh, 1972, uh, there'd been problems. I mean, you know, Donahue was, was, a, was a good winner, but Jim Malloyd lost his life in practice. And then 73 was just a horrible, horrible year. And then you come back in 74, and uh, you, you forget these things because the race ended up well, but there was a lot of rain problems and, and and uh, even litigation, and you thought, uh, you know, this racing isn't fun anymore. And then Johnny Rutherford, if you could, it, it was like a knight in shining armor. You know, who who could you handpick to be the ideal winner? And he won it, and he was just a fabulous representative for the sport. Rutherford went on to win a total of four races on the 1974 USAC Championship Trail, including a second 500-mile victory at Pocono in June. He finished second in the national championship standings to Bobby Unser. Each driver won four races, and Rutherford won two 500s, but Unser won the title by finishing in the top five in 12 of the 13 races that year. 
The following year, it was Rutherford and Unser again grabbing the headlines, this time at the Brickyard. Rutherford started seventh in his new McLaren M16E, now painted green and white thanks to a sponsorship deal with Gatorade, which was owned at the time by Indianapolis company Stokely Van Camp. 33 powerful racing machines are straining to be let loose as they leave turn four and head down the main straightaway. Now here they come for the world's fastest flying start. We're watching Pat Badan. The green flag is out, and the 1975 Indianapolis 500 mile race is on. Turn one, Ron Carroll. All right, Sid, and it's going to be Gordon Johncock taking the lead. A.J. Boyd right behind him, Bobby Unser, then Lloyd Ruby in turn two, Honey Bell. Yeah, it is Gordon Johncock, A.J. Boyd in second spot, Bobby Unser in third. Then it's Lloyd Ruby, Tom Sneva, and uh, there's Johnny Rutherford. Patrick Racing teammates Gordon Johncock and Wally Dallenbach were early contenders, but the 1973 winner dropped out after just 11 laps with ignition failure. Pole sitter A.J. Foyt, Dallenbach, Johnny Rutherford, and Bobby Unser began to assert themselves as skies began darkening in the second half of the race. After leading a race-high 96 laps, Dallenbach dropped out with a blown piston on lap 162, giving the lead to Rutherford. All the front runners were going to need to stop again, racing each other and the rain, and it was Unser that timed it right. So if the rain comes out and we're starting to see some heavy wind, this race could well be stopped. In fact, there comes the rain pretty heavily. We're watching Pat Vidan. The yellow is out, and we're going to wait to make it official if he's going to pull out the red or not, which has to happen now. It's pouring down rain. That's going to be it. And Bobby Unser from Albuquerque, New Mexico, may have weathered the storm, so to speak, and pushed himself into victory lane here by virtue of water. It appears that has happened. I still do not see a checkered flag or a red flag. In fact, Freddie, I can hardly see anything. But Lone Star JR felt that 1975 was one that got away, and he couldn't help but needle his old friend Bobby Unser a bit. 75, we were on our running our race and the schedule, and uh, we had planned to stop, you know, uh, when we needed to at, uh, uh, with about 25 laps to go. And uh, I've often wondered or thought, had I just stayed out, I had a pretty good lead. And had I stayed out instead of coming into the pits and saved fuel, uh, you know, just backing off a little bit in the corners and and then everything and kept an eye on Unser, we could have made it to the rain. But uh, we didn't. You know, we stuck to our schedule. We ran our own race and uh, made our pit stop. Bobby took the lead. And uh, I think he probably started soft-shoeing it a little bit so, you know, they could make the rain if it was coming or whatever. And uh, I was running second, and uh, the rains came. And Bobby won uh, his race. And uh, uh, I, <laughs> it was funny. I made statements, in, in, uh, you know, uh, to the press that I thought if we had not stopped, I could have won the race. And, oh, Bobby got hot about that. He didn't like that at all. He said he won the race, da-da-da-da-da-da. So anyway. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. 
and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. He wouldn't talk to me. And uh, so <laughs> the next year, Goodyear always had a, uh, a different a gathering. And I had Bobby and I there. And, and uh, Bobby got up and gave his thanks and everything to Goodyear, so on and so forth. And I got up and I said, uh, you know, I thank Goodyear. And then we finished second. And I said, you know, uh, when you pick up the record book, next year or in 10 years or whatever it's going to say that bobby unser won this race and i finished second and that's the way it was well i was walking down pit lane and i felt his hand on my shoulder and it was bobby and he was grinning and he nodded his head yes and we were friends after that Johnny Rutherford finished second in points for the second straight season in 1975, this time to A.J. Foyt. He had a first and a second in back-to-back years at the Brickyard, and weather would intervene again, this time in his favor. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500. Lone Star JR, I'm John Herrick. For 1976, Johnny Rutherford's McLaren MC16E was back to orange, and his team had a new sponsor, High Gain, a company that manufactured CB radios and antennas. And it was that connection that actually led to Johnny Rutherford's famous nickname. That's right, Lone Star JR actually started as Rutherford's CB handle during the popularity of Citizens Band radios during the mid-1970s. Rainy day, we were sitting around, and, and uh, those people were there, and they said, uh, you know, you don't have a CB handle. You know, I, we, CBs were very popular then. I had one in our motor coach, and uh, I don't know who came up with Lone Star JR, but it certainly caught on, and people call me that. I could be on the road in the motor coach with the CB on, and somebody would be talking, and I'd, and I'd, I'd make contact with them. And they'd say, yeah, who is? Yes, what's your handle? And I'd say, Lone Star JR. I'd say, Rutherford, is that you? <laughs> so it, it did stick. And I've been, been called Lone Star JR and other things in my life, but that one has uh, uh, stuck. Rutherford and his team started the season strong with a win at Phoenix leading into the month of May. And the momentum continued when the track opened with a second pole position for Rutherford and the team. The pace car moves toward the pit area, the power of 25,000 horses heading our way, led by a front row of Johnny Rutherford, Gordon Johncock, and Tom Sneva. The pace car pulls off, and here they come down the main stretch for the world's fastest flying start. The green flag is waved. And the 1976 Indianapolis 500-mile race is on. 
Ron Carroll. And it's going to be our pole setter, Johnny Rutherford, in number two, leading the way. Gordon Shawcock and Tom Steber right behind him. In turn two, Howdy Bow. We see him. Here's Johnny Rutherford. It's Gordon Shawcock, Tom Steber. A.J. Boyd, Pancho Carter, up to Terry Baker. Nothing has changed. Johnny Rutherford about a 10 or 12 car length over Gordy Johncock. And now a move being made by Tom Sneva to Doug Sink at number three. And here comes Rutherford. Sneva right behind Johncock. Into turn number three. Then A.J. Boyd, then Pancho Carter. Open to turn four. Here's Jim Shelton. It is still Rutherford. Still Rutherford, there he goes, number two, and then number 20 is up there, John Cock. And now on the home stretch, let's see who's leading the first time around. Here's Sid. Right in front of us is Johnny Rutherford, car number two, followed by John Cock and Sneva. The 1976 Indianapolis 500 started out under blue skies with Johnny Rutherford leading for the first three laps. The early stages of the race were led by Rutherford, A.J. Foyt, and Gordon Johncock, but soon, just like 1974, it became a Texas tussle between Foyt and Rutherford. Number three, Doug Zink. And thank you, Sid. I might make the uh, commentary. Earlier, Johnny Rutherford was running with a great deal of ease, much like he was in 1974 when he won the Indianapolis 500, passing everybody, other hot dogs like Wally Dallenbach and Al Unser with the apparent ease, although at that point he wasn't putting too much distance between himself and A.J. Foyt. Sid? Foyt had nearly a 10-second lead at lap 70 as skies began to get darker. With rain on the way, Rutherford made his move, and 20 laps later, he was back in front. Let's switch over to turn two. A battle is developing once again between Foyt and Rutherford. Pick it up, Howdy. All right, we see them now about halfway through turn two, and it is A.J. Foyt, just about half a car length. And uh, Rutherford decides to try to go outside, but A.J. Foyt gets over. They're up to Jerry Baker on the backstretch. And there they go right there, Howdy. Now let's see how they go into number three. He sets him up. Doug, can you see him as he goes into that area? Here they come into turn number three, and Rutherford has really been gaining on A.J. Foyt about a car length behind as they go through three. Now he sets him up, pulls alongside. They're over to four, Jim Shelton. And looks like, hey, got him right now. There he goes. He got him right here. Number two is the leader, and Sid, pick him up. We can see him heading toward us right now. And Johnny Rutherford has picked up about uh, 70 yards on A.J. Foyt. Let's go down to turn one and go around again, Ron. Right you are, Sid. And uh, for some reason or other, A.J. slowed down about 8 or 10 miles an hour the last couple of laps through there. Maybe he's had a little trouble. Over to turn two and Howdy Bell. Yes, that's about a 70-yard lead. You're correct. And all day when we've been using this uh, radar, we've noticed that Johnny has been coming off this turn faster than A.J. Foyt. Jerry? He has really slowed down. He being A.J. Foyt, there's a great distance in there as they're already in number three, and Doug Sink can pick him up down there. Now a slower car is pulled in between the two as Rutherford goes through turn number three, heading to four. Jim? All right, Doug. Uh, we've been noticing with our radar gun that Foyt has been running about 172 up here and Rutherford about 174, so that's the difference. In fact, you said. Let's watch him come by here and see if Rutherford is pulling away a little bit more, and he certainly is after a brief yellow flag was brought out when jerry grant ran out of fuel the green flag came back out on lap 95 it was a race to halfway but no one at the time knew whether the rain would end the race early or not pat Fadano has the red flag and he's waving it the race is being stopped race is being stopped sid this is a hearty uh, group of people here it's a record crowd and uh, they're all seated there with plastic covers, umbrellas, and etc. No one's panicking. you got to take your hat off to auto racing crowds, and these people are wonderful. The race was stopped at 12.42 Indianapolis time, plenty of time to dry the track and finish the race if the rain stopped quickly. 
at 2.15. The sun was out, and it looked like the race would restart. Well, they're lined up now in the pit area in single file, and the listing that uh, John DeCamp just gave to you, and that was their position upon the flagging of the race with the red by starter Pat Badan on the order of Chief Steward Tom Binford across the way about two hours and 20-some minutes ago. Since that time, we've been talking with you from the Master Control Tower, hoping that we could get the race started. And as Johnny Rutherford, the leader, said, even though he could uh, collect a win with 102 completed laps on the 103rd lap of the race, said, I'd rather win the thing all the way. But now I think they'll all be satisfied if they start to run. It rains again. They'll probably call at that point if it looks as though it's going to take too long a time to dry out. And then whatever the position is, the race is official at 101 laps. That's one good break that everybody gets, including the Speedway management, because had this now rested on, say, 99 laps or even 100 laps, Fred, we could anticipate possibly coming back tomorrow, as we did in 73, to run, theoretically, one more lap. Holy smokes. Yes. Are we going to have another one of those marathon broadcasts? I hope not, no, because there's a sprint race scheduled for tomorrow afternoon. I'd like to go see that. <laughs> We'd like to get this one underway and finished up because the gentleman would like to win it racing for it, not sitting in the pits. Those are men. They separate them from the boys. At 3 o'clock, it was time to restart the race. Drivers began getting back in their cars, but just when it looked like the race would resume, the skies opened up again. Well, it's really a shame that we can't have an exciting finish with the cars roaring out of turn four. Jim Shelton right in front of you, down toward the start-finish line, airing uh, Asiel the Pat Vadan is waving the checkered flag for Johnny Rutherford, winner of the 1976 Indianapolis 500-mile race. That's in simulation only because instead of coming down forward toward turn number one, speeding as fast as he can, waving toward the crowd and undoubtedly smiling, he is being backed up toward the victory lane area and his car is being moved around here. The number two, a high-gain McLaren Special, qualified at 188.957 for the pole a couple of weeks ago. Fort Worth, Texas is proud once again of John. And uh, Johnny Rutherford, I'm sure, as he always says, doesn't care which lap he leads, as long as it's the last one, which he did. Lap number 102, they were on the 103rd, which had not been completed, evidently, at the time this race was stopped. Johnny Rutherford started out here in 1963, passing his driver's test that year. Came in 29th, only lasted 43 laps. Went two laps in the second race because of an accident. 15 laps in the third race. And the first one he ever finished was the one he won in 1974. 1975, he came in second to Bobby Unser when the race was stopped with rain once again. Now he's walking toward victory lane, and Lou Palmer is waiting to greet him. I was in the car, and they had the cover over it, and we were all strapped in, and uh, they took the covers off and was getting ready for Tony to give the restart engines uh, command, and the rain, the bottom fell out, and it just rained. And, of course, it had taken three hours to get the track ready to run on when it started raining before. And uh, that meant another three hours, and it would have been too dark to finish it. And so Betty and I got to, I got to be the first driver to walk into Victory Lane rather than drive in. So uh, that was, you know, the old lady smiled at me on that one. But uh, anyway, that was my, my second one. And uh, it was, uh, you know, any way you can win them is okay. But uh, still... It would have, been, would have been good to go on and finish the race and see how it would have turned out. 
1976 Indianapolis 500 was declared official after just 102 laps, the shortest Indianapolis 500 in history and the shortest 500-mile championship race in history. Rutherford became the first driver to walk to victory lane. Rutherford tied the record for the best three-year stretch in Indianapolis 500 history with two firsts and a second-place finish. After the race, as always, Sid Collins offered his closing monologue on the Speedway Radio Network, and he paid tribute to the winner. And now this final thought for our winner. Enthusiasm with wisdom will carry a man further than any amount of intellect without it. The men who have most powerfully influenced the world have not been so much men of genius as they have been men of strong conviction with an enduring capacity for work coupled with enthusiasm and determination. Johnny Rutherford showed these qualities today in becoming victorious over the Indianapolis 500. So until next May, this is Sid Collins, the voice of the 500, wishing you good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where in the world you are right now. We're here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the crossroads of America. Goodbye. What fans didn't know at the time was that was truly goodbye. Sid Collins passed away on May 2, 1977. Coincidentally, Johnny Rutherford was the last winner Collins called across the finish line on lap 200 in 1974 and was the last winner that he offered a closing thought to in 1976. Rain had intervened in back-to-back -back races in the mid-1970s, but Johnny Rutherford would have another day in the sun in a bright yellow rocket ship just four years later. Number four, the Pennzoil Chaparral, his hand in the air. Johnny Rutherford wins the 1980 Indianapolis 500-mile race. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500, Lone Star JR, I'm John Herrick. Following his 1976 Indianapolis 500 victory, Johnny Rutherford finished second in the USAC championship standings for the third straight year. A broken oil line in the season finale at Phoenix knocked Rutherford out of the points lead. He lost the championship to Gordon Johncock by just 20 points. For the 1977 season, McLaren debuted a new car, the M24, and while Rutherford won more races than any other driver that season, he finished third in the championship standings, particularly due to a last-place finish at the Indianapolis 500. Rutherford joined a select list of drivers who had finished first and last in back-to-back -back years. The Texans stayed with McLaren for both 1978 and 1979, finishing fourth in the title chase both years, the second year being the debut of the new championship auto racing team circuit. But at the end of 1979, McLaren was out of IndyCar, choosing to focus their efforts on Formula One. Johnny Rutherford was out of a job for the first time since the end of the 1972 season, but fortunately for him, a top ride was available, driving the Pennzoil Chaparral for Jim Hall Racing. Al Unser had dominated the 1979 Indianapolis 500, driving the Chaparral before dropping out on lap 105. Oops, there's smoke coming from Al Unser. Oh, that's bad news. Al Unser smoking. He was in the pits there. They were looking underneath the car. Disappointment. Jim Hall, a man that I admire, this man gaining from these brothers' misfortune here, 
because Bobby Unser, now leading the race, really by kind permission of Al, because Al really had the race in his pocket. The Chaparral 2K was an innovative car using ground effects technology. When Al uh, and Jim Hall had their problem, Al wanted to keep his crew, and, and Jim didn't necessarily want that particular crew uh, working on the car. And uh, anyway, Al quit. Tyler Alexander had called Jim and told him he ought to hire me. And uh, Jim did. You know, that was it. I uh, got a chance. Uh, Al had won the last race at Phoenix in uh, in 79. And uh, we went back to Phoenix to test. And uh, fortunately, uh, Jim had hired Steve Roby, Australian mechanic that had been with McLaren, and he knew what I what I liked in a car, and they set the car up the way Al had won the race, and I couldn't drive the thing; it was just too wobbly and and didn't take a good set or anything, and uh, we tested for half a day, and uh, Jim tried a lot of different things, and Steve said. Uh, let me try some things. I know what Rutherford likes in the car. And he started different springs, lowering it down, uh, getting it ground effects working. And he, he solved some problems with the ground effects. The, the car was getting so much. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Downforce from the bottom, it was sucking the bottom down against the track, and it was starting to rub it. And uh, so, anyway, he made some uh, made some changes to things, and we went out. and And before the day was over, uh, we were nearly two seconds a lap under the track record. It was an incredible. The only time I, with with the car the way Roby had it set up. Uh, the only time I had to lift was just to transfer weight to the right front end of the first turn, which was tighter than the others. And then I could run it flat-footed all the way around the track uh, back to turn one to do that again. And uh, it got so much downforce and side bite in the corners in turn three and four running flat-footed, it made me grunt, you know, uh, uh just holding it, and uh, that was it. Rutherford qualified on the pole, the third time he would lead the field to the green flag, and most observers felt that if the yellow submarine made it all 200 laps, that Rutherford would be an easy winner. Johnny Rutherford, the pole. 
Wilson. The setter brings them to the green. Wayne Sweeney waves the green flag and the race is on. The Railbirds were right. In a race slowed by 13 caution flags, Rutherford dominated, leading 118 laps on the way to his third Indianapolis 500 victory. Johnny Rutherford down the main straightaway. The white flag showing to him the car number four on the board. Now less than two and a half miles to victory. And what a fantastic race Johnny Rutherford has run today. The stand, fans are on their feet cheering him on the victory. He's over to turn two, Howdy. That's once again in a very select group of three-time winners he will join as he goes up the backstretch. Johnny Rutherford began to raise his hands off of the steering wheel, saluting the fans here on the last lap. He is about a third of a lap away from victory, Doug. And here he drops down into turn number three, slowing up maybe just a little bit, it seems, into the short shoot. Darrell, take him home. Great round of applause, a waving to him. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here they call a checkered flag for the winner of the world's greatest auto race, the voice of the 500, Paul Payne. Speedway historian emeritus Donald Davidson. And when he was nominated to that car, I do not recall, it, in the years I've been around, there was never a, a a clearer winner early on. And, I mean, I remember in February and March, you thought, Rutherford's the winner. It's just, you know, it's just a formality of winning the race. And I don't remember one person standing out like that before. And uh, he won the poll. And I, I think he led like 122 laps. He didn't lead, you know, he didn't lead from flag to flag, but effectively he could have. It just seems like, you know, he had the field covered, and uh, then he becomes a three-time winner. Rutherford and the team went on to win a total of five races in 1980 on the way to his first national driving championship. You know, boy, we, we came back and, and had a lot of success and uh, won the title and the in the chaparral and, and Jim Hall. Jim Hall was easy to drive for because he was a driver of note himself. And he you could talk to him and ask him things and tell him stuff. And uh, he would make changes and do little things. And uh, we, were, we were there. You know, it was just really good. Won several races that year and, and uh, won the title. I got the uh, national driver's title and and uh, won the uh, uh, car title for Jim. And it was, you know, it was just a, a great run. 
Johnny Rutherford was already a well-known driver, but his third Indianapolis 500 victory in the distinctive yellow submarine helped make him even more of a household name, and his endorsements were on the rise. From Riverside to Elkhart Lake, from Atlanta to Indy, all around the championship car circuit, the Pennzoil Chaparral has been a standout. Here's driver Johnny Rutherford. Driving the Chaparral for the past two years has made a Pennzoil believer out of me. A win at Indy, a national championship, and thousands of race miles without an oil-related problem. Protection and Pennzoil. Get them together in your car. Pennzoil Motor Oil. Ask for it. For 1981, the team was back together, and the Chaparral was ready to roll again. But even though Rutherford won the 1981 season opener at Phoenix, cracks were starting to show in the dominance of the machine, and it would be the last victory for the Chaparral 2K. We, we uh, struggled after that. The next year we came back and, and had the car was good, but uh, didn't quite everybody else saw what we were doing or, or did their own thing. And, and uh, anyway, we, we qualified for the race uh, up front. And, uh, gosh, I can't remember. I ran, I can't remember how many laps I ran that race, but uh, one of the uh, drive belts, that ran the oil pressure and the fuel pump and everything gave up. And we went from winning it in 80 to finishing 33rd in 81, I think. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those, one of those things, one of those struggles. Turn one, let's go to Ron Carroll. All right, Paul, and just as you say that, Johnny Rutherford pulls down under the white line in car number one, that yellow chaparral. He could have had a fuel problem. He did not stop as Bobby Unser did, but he has almost slowed to a stop over in the second turn. Perhaps Howdy Bell can pick him up real quick. We're looking at Johnny Rutherford looking right down in his cockpit from the roof of this building, and he is uh, just cruising below the uh, yellow line off the edge of the track. Although he's pulled it back up to the track side of the white line now as he's slowly, ever so slowly, moving down the backstretch. Johnny Rutherford's chaparral lasted just 25 laps in the 1981 Indianapolis 500, and the three-time winner ended up in 32nd place. Rutherford ended the season in fifth place in the cart point standings in 1981 before dropping to 12th in 1982. At the end of the 1982 season, Rutherford parted ways with Jim Hall's team and went back to Patrick Racing, who he had last driven for in 1972. But Rutherford was injured in a crash at IMS on May 18, 1983, which left him with a broken right ankle and fractures in his left foot. The crash derailed his season with Patrick, and at the end of the season, he was looking for a ride again. Johnny Rutherford had done everything you could do in IndyCar racing, but he still had one more big moment in the sun to come. Rutherford slows only slightly. He's not letting any grass grow today. Betty Rutherford cheers him on. Here comes Johnny Rutherford. The checkered flag is out, and Johnny Rutherford has won the Michigan 500. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500, Lone Star JR. I'm Chon Herrick. After missing the 1983 Indianapolis 500 due to injury, Johnny Rutherford was back in the race in 1984, driving for his longtime friend and rival, A.J. Foyt. 
Rutherford only drove a partial schedule that season, but was asked to fill in for the injured Rick Mears in three races for Roger Penske's powerful team, winning the pole for a 250-mile race in September at the Michigan International Speedway. He got a ride with Alex Morales' team for 1985 and picked up his first win since 1981 at the San Air Super Speedway in Quebec in September. 1986 would prove to be a solid year for the team. At IMS in May, Rutherford finished eighth, which would be his final top 10 finish in the Indianapolis 500. And at the Michigan International Speedway in August, 48-year-old Johnny Rutherford became the oldest driver to win a 500-mile race, taking the Michigan 500. But Rutherford's days racing indie cars were numbered. He ran just two races in 1988 and 1989, and after unsuccessfully trying to make the Indianapolis 500 field in 1992, he knew it was time to hang up his helmet, which he did in 1994. It was a situation where all of the guys in my group, uh, Bobby, Al, AJ, uh, Mario had announced uh, his intentions to retire and uh we were all had all raced together for several years, and it was it was just you know that particular time. Uh, and I I was talking with Betty, and I said, you know, I I think I'm gonna hang it up. And she didn't mind that at all. You know, she thought that would you know she said, well, that's your decision. Uh, I decided I would I would do it. Al had made his announcement. And uh, I just went over and I, I went into AJ's garage and I said, AJ, have you got a car I can take a ride in around here? I'm going to retire. And he never hesitated, spun around and asked his chief mechanic, is there a car ready to run right now that Rutherford can take and run around? He said, yes, that car. And it was the car that AJ had retired in a year or two before, year before. And uh, anyway, they got it ready, and I went out and made a couple of laps around the speedway and came in, and uh, that was it. You know, uh, Tom Carnegie interviewed me, and and uh, it was, you know, that was the, the end of my uh, racing career virtually. I didn't even run sprint cars anymore. I had uh, uh, graduated, you know, it, it retired out of sprint car racing. And so anyway, uh, that was it. But Johnny Rutherford, one of the greatest ambassadors the sport has ever seen, didn't leave his beloved sport. He served two different stints on the Speedway Radio Network as driver analyst. Here, he has a little bit of fun with his longtime friend, Speedway historian emeritus Donald Davidson. Bob, now that we know that Danny Sullivan is out of the race showing with 29 laps, our guess is that that is the second greatest distance ever by the car which finishes last. So da Danny Sullivan has obviously the dubious distinction of being the uh, last place finisher wow. in this race. I'd really cherish that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Other pit stops being made now as we continue to be under caution. 
you can add Danny Sullivan's name to the list of drivers who have finished first and last in the 500. There are several. I wouldn't want to mention all of the names because one of them is standing next to me. <laughs> That's what I've always said. Chicken one year, feathers the next. Well, it's feathers for Danny, unfortunately. And once the Indy Racing League was created, Rutherford took a position as a driver coach and behind the wheel of the pace car at series events. I didn't know what I was going to do, and, and that's when uh, Tony George created the Indy Racing League. I was the third one that he hired to drive the pace car. And uh, so that was my duties from then on was driving the pace car at, at all of the Indy car races. And that kept me up close, and uh, it was good. And then uh, uh, I turned 80 years old, I guess, and they decided to retire me out of the out of the pace car. Johnny Rutherford won 27 IndyCar races, including five 500-mile races and the 1980 National Driving Championship. He's a member of the Motorsports and International Motorsports Halls of Fame, but it's his relationship with the fans that he cherishes. Oh, definitely, really have. You know, there's one thing about it, without the fans, uh, there wouldn't have been much for racing, you know. <laughs> you had to have the fans in order to have the racing. And so you have to take care of the fans, you know. They're the people uh, that that uh, uh, come to every race and enjoy uh, watching it. And uh, uh, that's, you know, uh, the thing about uh, racing is is the fans. And... Uh, that was that's one of the key ingredients to success in in uh, racing of any kind is having people that like to watch it. Speedway historian emeritus Donald Davidson. He was just one of the great representatives of the sport, and I I think it's sort of a a fine line where people think well he was a, he was a good guy and a great representative, but he was also a very effective race driver. And I remember asking that when Dan Gurney one time we would we were doing sort of like rate the drivers uh, kind of thing and talk, and talk about him, and 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 Dan Gurney when when I mentioned Johnny Rutherford he said very brave, very brave, and uh, I thought Johnny would like that because he liked being a gunfighter I think although he seemed more of a sort of a polished, um, sort of like a Roger Penske guy rather than being a dirt track Texas gunfighter, and I, I think he enjoyed being that. Thank you for joining us for Heroes of the 500. Lone Star JR, I'm John Herrick.